Years ago, a man wanted to be a war hero so desperately that he fabricated a story about being a Marine and being taken captive as a POW in the Korean War. Lived in a small town, and so over the years, the, the story just kept growing and growing and growing. He would march in parades, he would speak at schools, and uh, he, would, uh, he had a uniform that he decked out with fake medals that he ordered uh, from a catalog. And as far as people knew, this guy was everything that he was presenting himself to be with respect to being a war hero. He even had fake papers that allowed him to get a special license plate for wounded veterans. Eventually, a Veterans League noticed a lack of records. They also began to observe discrepancies in his war record, and he realized that he was found out. He realized that people knew now that he was a fake and a fraud, that he had been lying all those years. Here at Midtown, when we talk about discipleship, we always focus on the four goals. And the fourth goal of discipleship, discipleship here at Midtown is for us to be established in ministry. If you are discipling someone or if you have been discipled here, that's your story. Or at least it should be. Your story should be that you are established in ministry, which means you are preaching the gospel, which means you are living your life in a sober and prayerful way, which should mean that you are persistently loving the brethren. If you are, in fact, established in ministry, but if you are saying you are established in ministry and those things are not true of you, then you're like this man who has fabricated a story about your spiritual life that is actually not true. In this section of 1 Peter chapter 4, we're looking at a ministry portrait which shows us the traits of someone who is a temple of service, a true minister. And it's interesting because if there was ever a time for someone to uh, press pause on being a temple of service, press pause on being a true minister, it would have certainly been during this time. I mean, should we really expect a Christian to focus on ministry? Should we really expect a Christian to be a temple of service when they're experiencing horrific persecution and suffering? I mean, is that, is that realistic? According to 1 Peter, it's exactly what God expects. But there's more for us to see this morning, beginning in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 4. It goes on to say, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Now, what we have here in verse 9 is we have a visual, and, and we're going to see this in verses 9 through 11. They're going to give us a visual of what obedience looks like to verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 8 tells us, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Listen, charity is not something that we simply get to give lip service to. It's not. 
It's nice to say, and it's nice to hear, I love you. But that can be nothing more than a sentimental gesture, if we're honest. Loving someone when they have fallen or they have hurt you is when you go beyond the sentimental. See, charity doesn't just stop with feelings and good intentions. It it loves when it is very costly to love. It loves when it hurts to love. It, it, It loves when everything in us is saying hate. Right? It doesn't stop there with just feelings. In verse 9, it gives us a ministry command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's not a consideration. It's a command. Use hospitality one to another. It's not, will you use it, or would you consider it? Would you think about it? Would you pray about it? No, use hospitality one to another. That phrase, use hospitality, it means fond of guests. When you are fond of something, that means you enjoy it. It means you like it. It, it, it implies pleasure. It, it's, it, it doesn't give the visual of something that you feel you have to do. No, you're fond of this. You want to do it. You're glad to do it. So it should please us to use hospitality one to another. So as we look at this ministry portrait, and as we're allowing the Word of God to give us an actual and very clear visual of what it looks like or what it should look like to be established in ministry, what we see in this portrait of true ministers is that they are given to hospitality. Given to hospitality. Uh, This means that Um, Not only are we willing to be hospitable, we're eager to be so. We're eager to be be hospitable. We're like, oh, I, I, I really want to do this. To the Lord, this is so critical. This is so critical that it is actually a qualification for the pastorate. This is how critical this is to God. Consider 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless. Again, emphasis on must be. Must be. Blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. That phrase, given to hospitality, guess what it means? Fond of guests fond of guests. So guess what this tells us? And it's interesting because, again, I think when we, when we, when we, we think about the pastorate, we, we, we think very lofty, right? Oh, that's only for a select few, those who are just blessed and gifted just enough by God, and they have a, a, something a little bit extra special than the rest, and, and that's why God sets them apart far from reality. Listen, A man who is not fond of having guests in his home is disqualified from being a pastor. I mean, this is what we see clearly from the Word of God. It is astounding to me that men have and will continue to spend thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars 
and hours acquiring theological credentials and can pastor massive churches. But biblically speaking, I mean, they maybe they've studied Hebrew, they've studied Greek, and, 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 and they can drop $10 words. But if they're not given to hospitality, they are disqualified from the pastorate. You don't need to know Greek or Hebrew to say, welcome to my home. <laughs> now, understand, uh, 1 Peter 4 verse 9 is not written specific to pastors. It's to all of us. And specific to our study here in 1 Peter, it is vital that we pay very close attention to the root of this word, hospitality. What is the root? Hospital. It's a place that receives the sick, the hurt, the infirmed. Because of the persecutions against Christians at this time, some had been displaced from their homes and had nowhere to go. Their wives had had their husbands who had been martyred and had children and had no home, had nowhere to go. And listen, a verbal, I love you. Oh, that's awful. I am praying for you. Would have been an insult. And it would have been grievous to God. Again, that just would have been a nice sentimental gesture to help you, or hope, hopefully you, it makes you feel better in the moment, but beyond that, <laughs> you're in a tough spot. Now, what was needed during that time was true hospitality that was born out of true charity, what we see in verse 8. And notice how the Apostle John attached this together, how he married these two in terms of, of, of using hospitality and, and being charitable. Consider 1 John three sixteen through 18. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now this word love in verse 17 was translated from the word agape which is the highest expression of love, which is why it was translated as charity 28 times in our New Testament and charitably once. And the focus of hospitality is not necessarily the church. It's your home. It's my home. Now, believe me, we need to be hospitable at Midtown, especially when we have visitors, which we have some very, very special visitors. And it's hard to even say that they're visitors. This is Mark and Karen Polifka from Ellis. And um, I, I don't have words. Uh, we have walked together in the Lord for almost 30 years. And I love you. And your love to me over the years... So I don't feel like you're a guest. You're, you're, Mark and Karen can knock on my door unannounced. Any, uh, they are welcome. Now, my wife might disagree. 
<laughs> but I, I, I can, uh, yeah, say hi to them if you haven't met them. Very dear people in the Lord. Um, but our American culture has and continues to become anti-Christian by the second, doesn't it? And if we aren't careful, we can find ourselves put off by this whole concept of being given to hospitality. Like, listen, I'm, I'm good with saying hi. To, listen, I'm good with the sentimental Sunday morning stuff. Hey, brother. Hey, sister, good to see you. Oh, I love you. We hug each other and it's great. But I don't need you in my living room. Not only that, I don't want you in my living room. I don't want you at my kitchen table. We, we don't need to take it that far. Here's the problem with that, here at least at Midtown. To be established in ministry, you must be given the hospitality. <laughs> you cannot, you will not be established in ministry here if you're not given the hospitality. That's an impossibility. And notice, not only are we to use hospitality one to another, but we're to do so without grudging, without murmuring about it, complaining about it. In addition to that, listen, the hospitality that is in view here, get ready. <laughs> it calls for treating our guests, listen, with great indulgence or tenderness. It means that when we're using hospitality, when, when we're ministering to people in our home, it means that we put our best foot forward. It means that we go above and beyond. It means that we are tripping over ourselves. It means that we are providing and giving the very best that we can provide to those that we are using hospitality to in our home. That's what's in view here biblically. And listen, I am so thankful. I am so thankful to be married to a woman who doesn't have an aneurysm <laughs> or bellyache and moan and groan and whine and complain <laughs> with respect to the amount of traffic that comes in and out of our house. Oh, I can't believe this. Why are you always having me? Why? <laughs> Praise the Lord for my wife. Uh, people are with us as short as three hours and as long as three weeks. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And you know what that calls for? That calls for shopping. Uh, that calls for spending money. That calls for planning. That calls for cleaning. That calls for uh, seeing a bump in the utilities if they're staying longer. Okay. Praise the Lord. Listen, please, if, if you're going to be established in ministry, you, you, you've got to get this, and so do I. Listen, true ministers are unselfish and are never owed anything. They are unselfish, and they are not owed anything. So guess what? They never use hospitality with strings attached. They're not keeping score. You know how much that cost us? 
You know how much time we set aside for them? They better remember that. Or when things go south, we throw it in their face. No, that's not using hospitality without grudging. See, true ministers understand that if they obey God in using hospitality, he will always supply what they need. I can stand before you this morning to the glory of God, by the grace of God, and tell you that the Lord has been faithful to the Morgan family. We have never missed anything that we've needed. And he's given us so far beyond that. Let me give you three very basic considerations here about hospitality. And these are simple, but I'm trusting the Lord uh, to, for you to download these into the fabric of your heart and your thinking. Listen, number one, make hospitality a way of life. A way of life. Our children have grown up and their experience in our home has been just witnessing countless people in our living room, at our kitchen table for discipleship, premarital counseling, Bible studies, small group, fellowship, family staying in for the holidays, whatever. I mean, there have been times where our house has felt like a hotel. Praise the Lord. We want that to be their normal. (laughs) Listen, if my children grow up and go out and start their own family and get their own home to only view it as, well, this is for us and we don't want people coming in here because they might stain our carpet and mess up our furniture, we will have failed miserably. We will have failed miserably. Next, wait on your guest. It says you want to serve them as well as you can. So you know what? Uh, Give attention to detail. Do your homework. You have people over. Uh, Do the research. Laura's great at this. Are there any dietary restrictions? What, What kind of things do you like? You want to do everything that you can to ensure that when they leave, they feel like, man, I really, feel, I really think they love us. Provide the best quality that you can. You make sure that when they're in your home, as far as you are concerned, as far as they are concerned, you are their primary focus. And they should be. Let me, uh, let me have a, my wife has something here. I want to just... And this is, this is going to hit a sentimental nerve, but I do think it's from a genuine place. So, Andrea has been in our home a number of times. She's lighting up already. Uh, she's been in our kitchen table a number of times, and, and one of the things we know about her is she likes good coffee. Like, she likes good coffee. She really does. And so, it just worked out where any time that they were over, this is the mug that she always drinks out of, Right? This is, and it got to a point where we said, hey, why, why don't you just take it with you? Like, it's yours, you can have it. And she says, no, I only want to drink it when I'm here. And I remember the last time she was at our kitchen table, she said something that I knew it meant the world to us. And you can correct me if it needs cleaning up. But what I heard you say was, when I'm here, I feel like I'm home. And I, oh, Lord. And it's just, it, 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 those, and again, it's not that, listen, I'm, this isn't, I'm just saying, just 
when, when, you, when, when you're using hospitality, wait on the people that are there. And put your best foot forward. Find those little things that, that you know will touch them and make a difference. Now, here's where we really see, ultimately, the fulfillment of verse 8, this next one. And get ready. Open your heart to extended stays. Open your heart to extended stays. Now, three hours is one thing. But when you start talking weeks, months, maybe years, I don't think so. Can I tell you, praise the Lord, for Pastor Chris Best and his family, I know for a fact that Pastor Chris Best has given the hospitality. Uh, 2010 was the lowest and darkest hour in my family. Uh, we were coming out of a very hard situation, a very hard and unfriendly transition from Long Island back to Kansas City. And Pastor Best says, hey, my home is your home. You bring your family in, you stay as long as you need to stay. You don't pay us anything. We're going to trust God with you to get you a job and get you back on your feet. And we could have stayed with the best probably for two years. My pride would not let us stay further than four months. We should have stayed longer. But we left, not because we felt pressured to leave. It was just my pride. It's like, man, I've got to provide. for. I've got to take care of my, we're not ready to get out yet, but we're going to make this work somehow. Listen, whatever God has blessed you with, it's so that you can glorify him in it, enjoy it, and use it to be a blessing to others. Maybe a brother or sister is falling on hard times and the Lord would have you to provide them with shelter at no charge. Maybe it's mission focus and people are traveling and, and people are traveling with you know, a family of five or six you can only imagine the expense of, of staying in a hotel for all that time. Man, the Lord's giving you plenty of room. You've got three or four bedrooms or a basement you don't even really use. Yes, I would be willing and I am eager for them to stay with us. Please, come on. Here's the key. This is the key. Because what we're going to look at here is something that I'm certain that many of you are teaching your kids right now. I know that's something that we had to work with our kids on when they were younger. But it's from Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. In the end, it's not my house. This isn't mine. It's the Lord's. This isn't... You know, mine, me, me. No, 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 no. Lord, this is your house. How, how would you have us to use it? Now, let me give you this caveat because we have to say this tragically. Um, some have and continue to prey on the generosity and kindness of Christians in the church. Okay? So I'll be the first to say when it comes to my family, I am very careful about access into my home. And so not everybody needs to be at my kitchen table or in my living room. And so what I'm telling you is, 
use discernment. All right, because this is not a license or an invitation for anyone to be defrauded or taken advantage of. However, it might be that using hospitality with that particular individual is best served at a restaurant where you'll gladly cover the check. And that's okay. Amen? All right. Verse 10, as we keep going. As every man hath received a gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, this shows us how serious God is about us being temples of service. We have all been spiritually gifted by him. And here's what that tells us. This is very, very critical. And you want to know this, okay? God expects us to be true ministers. You always want to know, what is it that God expects of me? This is it. This is one of them for sure. He expects you, he expects me to be a true minister. And again, it's not that he expects us to do ministry. It's that he expects us to be true ministers. See, as a true minister... Ministry is not something that I do. Being a minister is who I am, whether it's formal or informal. No, God expects me to be a true minister. There's never a situation or scenario where I am not a true minister, and that could not have been clearer than yesterday. My son uh, set a goal this year, him and Bree, one of their goals this year was they wanted to buy their first car. And we, we've been praying about that and helping them with that and looking at that. And so yesterday, we, uh, there was a car that we went to look at and decided that this was, this was the vehicle for them. And, and the negotiation started. And as I began to talk to this man, more and more and more, it became clear, son, this is not about $100 or a couple hundred dollars one way or the other. Eat that. This is about this man's soul. This is about his soul. It's not about that car. <laughs> God says, I, 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 I can, yeah, praise the Lord. This is great for your kids, but, but ultimately, it's not about that. And it worked out where he and I were able to sit down and talk. And the more we did, the clearer it became that I'm like, listen, whatever you were asking for, let's just give you that. I don't care, man. <laughs> this is, you know what God was showing me in that moment? You're a true, you're a minister. <laughs> what, what was happening yesterday was no different than what's happening right now. God says, that's how I was, this is how I'm using you right now. Okay? Our lives are to be given to serving others. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is why, listen, listen. <laughs> Selfishness produces misery. Selfishness produces misery. If you are a selfish person, with everything in me, I can promise you, you are absolutely miserable. Because you were not made to be selfish. God made you, God saved you to be a true minister. To lay your life down serving others. 
And this is the key to relationships. It's seeking to serve others, not seeking for others to serve us. When we seek others to serve us, you know what that means? I'm going to tell you what God does. If my focus, if your focus is to be served versus serving, do you know what God does? God takes that so personal. Here's what he does. He sees to it that you are cut off from contentment, satisfaction, peace, and joy. God says, I will cut you off from that. Your selfishness will block that in your life. Listen, this will transform your marriage. Let me tell you, you you want to have a great marriage? I think we all do. I do. You want to have a great marriage? Let me tell you the recipe for a great marriage. You give me a husband and you give me a wife where all they think about is serving their spouse. Oh. You've got the Garden of Eden before the fall. There are only two kinds of people in every relationship. You ready? Creditors and debtors. If you're a creditor, you're owed something, aren't you? But if you're a debtor, I owe you my life. What happens in marriage is you get creditors. And you get problems. In verse 9, we're told to use hospitality one to another. And here in verse 10, the Lord tells us clearly why he has gifted us. Even so, minister the same one to another. That word minister, it means to be an attendant or wait upon others. Again, this is oozing of being a servant. Uh, Minister was translated from the same word that the word deacon was translated from. And we get a very clear visual in that from Acts chapter 6. Time is fleeting. Let's hurry. Let's let's dial it up a little bit. Verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason or right that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, uh, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word of God. Murmuring was an issue in the Old Testament for God's people. It was an issue in the early church, as we see here. And it is an issue right now. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot I could say about that and would like to say about that, but let me just say this. When it comes to murmuring, here's what you need to know. Here's what I need to know. It accomplishes absolutely nothing except it brings glory to the devil. Okay, you should know that. I should know that. The church was rapidly growing, and in the process of that, Greek-speaking widows, Grecians, somehow got overlooked in the daily ministration, and from there, the murmuring ensued. 
For the sake of our study, this word serve in verse 2 of Acts chapter 6 was translated as minister in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. It was also translated as deacon twice and as office twice in our New Testament. Now, this is critical. Because <laughs> again, I think sometimes we hear this term ministry and we think, oh yeah, that's for the pastors or, or those who are really spiritual or those who are really smart biblically, not me. Understand. What we're looking at here in Acts chapter 6, when we're talking about serving, we're talking about ministry, we're talking about serving tables. We're not talking about how deep and how smart you are biblically. We're talking about serving tables. You don't have to have a spiritual gift to serve tables. You have to have a humble heart. (laughs) Here's what this tells us, guys. True ministers are gifted, yes, but they're humble and they are accountable. Can I tell you, and I I, I think I speak for Sam, I speak for every pastor at MBT. If if you gave me and you said, okay, you you can choose between two people. You you, You have a person over here. They have their masters of divinity. They know the word of God as well as anybody could know it. They can blow you away when they stand up and teach. They can hold a crowd in the palm of their hands. But they're full of pride and arrogance. And over here, you got someone who just finished discipleship one. And they, they don't, this person over here has forgotten more Bible than this person over here knows. But this person over here, they're faithful, they're humble, they're teachable, they will follow. I'll take this person every time. I don't have to even pray about it. I already know. <laughs> Please, there is no aspect of ministry from the Lord that is considered to be insignificant to a true minister. Nothing. This is one of the issues with the remnant that came back after the exile, right, in the book of Haggai, and they're rebuilding the temple, and some of them were struggling. They were struggling because uh, some of them remembered the glory of Solomon's temple. And, and, and they're looking at this, uh, this modest uh, rebuild of the temple. And they were tempted to view it as nothing. Listen, there is no ministry from the Lord that we view as nothing. <laughs> like, oh yeah, this, this isn't as glamorous or as glorious or as significant or as important as that over there. That's not the heart of a true minister. A true minister says, I look at managing a broom no different than I do managing the scriptures. It's for the glory of God. And we should remember, as you're looking here in verses 10 and 11 of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 uh, seems to be pointing to the issue of, of, of serving, whereas in verse 11, speaking. And I point that out because the spiritual gifts 
typically fall out into two categories, serving and speaking. Please hear me. Neither is more important than the other. My good friend Brian Clark could not have said it better years ago. The new virtue in America is fame. And if you want attention, you want fame, boy, if you can get into a position where the lights are on and the camera is on and people are watching you, you have arrived. And people covet that. But if it's not that, well, then, eh, doesn't really matter. Watch your heart. What was the issue at Corinth regarding spiritual gifts? They were puffed up about it. They were puffed up about it. Listen, pride wrecks the stewardship of our spiritual gifting. It does. It is clear from verse 10 that we are to steward our gift. But the problem with pride, listen, is that it limits God from being able to fully use us. God says, I've gifted you with a gift. I want you to use it, but your pride doesn't allow me to fully use it in and through you. This was a point of great failure for me when I was in New York. I believed I was gifted to teach. I believe I was called to do that. And that is still true to this day, not because of me, but because of the Lord. The problem was I developed an attitude of entitlement where I believed that I was entitled to a certain ministry platform. And when the pastor who was over me did not give me that, I became very difficult to lead. I did. And God would use that to break me in a way that only he could break me because it was pride. Listen, we can be gifted, we can be eager, we can be willing, but listen, our pride will ground us every time. God says, I will sit you down before I allow you to get a ministry platform and wield it with your pride. Please, an attitude of entitlement and ministry only leads to great frustration and disappointment. You get to the place where you think you're owed something, that what God has given you is not enough, you need bigger, you need better, you need more, you need more people looking at you, you need to be behind the camera, you need the mic. This broom isn't doing it for you. Those kids in Kid Town, that's not enough for you. Greeting people at the door, you're bigger and better than that. Let me just say on behalf of Pastor Sam Miles and every pastor and true leader at Midtown, no thank you. <laughs> there are a number of churches that will be glad to have you, especially if you're tithing. But if you're going to bring your arrogance and your pride and your elite attitude to our ministry culture, the moment we get a whiff of that, I guarantee you, you will be operating on borrowed time unless you humble yourself. There are no superstars in ministry here. 
Can I give you an excellent verse to outfit your heart with in ministry? Can I? Maybe it's just me. This is for me, okay? I'll share it with you. You ready? Mark 1, 7, uh, talking of uh, John the Baptist, and it says, And preach, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me. Listen, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. John the Baptist was declaring his absolute unworthiness. I am unworthy. I am unworthy. Listen, in ministry, it can be a short trip to worthiness. We go from that moment where we were just ecstatic that God could use us, and I can't believe it, to Why wasn't I asked to do it? Okay? And when that happens, I beg you, a giant fall is in your forecast. That was me. When I was on Long Island, the few times that I would get the mic, I'd get done and, and people would, hey, why don't you preach more? Why is he letting you preach more? Oh, hey, praise the Lord, I'm just humble to be used. But inside my heart, it was, yeah, I know. I'm with you. Why don't you go ask him? Yeah, I should be preaching more. And God says, okay, we're going to work on that. And man, did he. That's what that whole transition was about. God says, I'm going to serve you up, not just a slice. I'm going to give you the whole pie. That whole humble pie, I'm going to give you the whole pie, and you're going to eat every bite of it. To the point where if Sam Miles asked you to take out his garbage with a smile on your face, <laughs> yes, sir. Finally, I'm over time. I apologize. Verse 11, we'll hustle. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Remember, Peter was writing to both Jewish and Gentile believers, oracles who refer to the Old Testament scriptures. And so to the Jews, they would have connected or this would have resonated with them very, very clearly. See what we see here in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Uh, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now again, from a doctrinal perspective, if we take a step back and, and, and blow this up a little bit, 
uh, from a tribulation standpoint, the Old Testament scriptures will absolutely come back into play again for the Jews. Why is that? So much of the prophecies of the Old Testament scriptures pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah. This is why in the book of Zechariah, we read there in chapter 12, that the Jews will look upon him and mourn whom they pierced. Okay, so you're going to see a lot of that come back into play during the tribulation. But what we encounter here in verse 11 uh, places or allows us to put a bow on this ministry portrait. If any man speak, let him speak as of the oracles of God. So listen, in ministry, and this is important, teach what the scriptures say, not what you think. I met a brother here who, our, our, our history and our heritage, we were connecting some dots, and he was talking about discipleship and, and the importance of that, and certainly I agree, we agree, we are like-minded, like-hearted on that. And let me tell you, from a discipleship standpoint, if there's anything that would keep me up at night, it would be envisioning a discipler sitting across the table from someone saying something like this, I think... In my opinion, <laughs> oh no, oh no, 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 listen, let, let me talk to everybody, this guy right here, starting with me right here, we don't care and we don't need to know what you think or what your opinion is, I don't care. If you're going to make disciples at Midtown Baptist Temple, you're going to say what the Bible says. Not what you think. No way. This is why you must be established in the Word of God. If you are not established in the Word of God, guess what you're going to do if you somehow, by a miracle... Get to the table as a discipler. <laughs> you're going to hijack that. And you're going to do immense damage by touting your opinions and your preferences. No. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Listen, depend on God, not self in ministry. Ministry is not about our best. It's about God's best in and through us. God does not need the best of my ability. And when that happens, here's the outcome. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In this ministry portrait, here's what we see. True ministers, listen, despise vainglory. They despise vainglory. You know what vainglory is? It is glory that is wasted or spent on self. That's vainglory. True ministers despise it. I'm almost done. I went a little long. I do apologize. First Corinthians 3, verse 7. Would you look at it? So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Can I ask you, have you really made peace with the fact that you are not anything? 
Again, I'm going to quote Brian Clark. The new virtue in America is fame. You know what the Bible calls that? The pride of life. You know what you hear every day, what you see every day, especially through social media and all that? Be somebody. Become something. Make a name for yourself. Build your brand. Make sure people know who you are. Become something. Listen, the key to being fruitful in ministry and bringing glory to God, listen, is to genuinely embrace our nothingness. I'm not talking about some false humility, some self, uh, self uh, degradation. I'm not talking about that. I mean, really, in the recesses of your heart, in the corners of your mind. God, I'm nothing. Lord, I'm, I am really unworthy to untie your shoes. Father, for your glory and the edification of your church. We need to be established in ministry. You have given us a clear portrait of what that looks like in these weeks that we've looked at this. And I do pray, God, that we've done more than just hear it. I pray that we've received it and that we've hid it in our hearts. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.